Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the April issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Drought Planning Trigger Dates. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the three educators who co-author this article, Ryan Benjamin, Brad Schick, and T.L. Meyer. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having us. So, TL, as we look at current circumstances across Nebraska, set the stage for us a little bit in terms of where we're at in soil moisture. Well, I think what's concerning, Aaron, is simply in some parts of the state, moisture was not great all of last year, but it came at, uh, for me here in the Sandhills, it came at timely points. And so we were okay during the growing season. But over winter, moisture has been pretty bleak in most of the state. Uh, some of the charts we had in the article that we're referencing here for trigger planting dates show that the percent of normal precipitation is definitely below average since the 1st of October. And we shared some from the 20th of March. And if you go into the National Weather Service, they updated them yesterday. If we look at percent of normal, and I say yesterday, I say March 31st, year to date, just in 2022, looks actually worse. (laughs) And last 30 days looks pretty bleak for North Central, Central, and East Central Nebraska. TL, also in the article, you highlight some outlooks from the from the Climate Prediction Center in terms of what's expected ahead. And, you know, for us growing grass in Nebraska, thinking about April, May, June precip, that's a big driver for us in terms of forage production. What's the current outlook? The outlook's not great. Um, moisture is, uh, even if we were to get uh, average or above average moisture, we're, we're set up to still need more than that. Then on top of it, the temperatures are looking um, above normal. So while it's been nice to have a fairly mild winter for most of it and spring, we, we need, we need the moisture. So in light of that, looking at much below average precips, so we're dealing with soil moisture conditions that are, are less than average. And we've also had already some above normal temperatures and warm, windy days. That's setting up a scenario as we look towards forage production moving into the spring that's going to challenge us. As we think about pastures in Nebraska, we think about the eastern side of the state, Brad, where you're located. From you east would be more what I would call cool season dominated pasture, a lot of introduced pasture there, smooth brome. As you think about the outlook right now and you think about current soil moisture conditions, how might this impact what we might expect in terms of production from smooth brome? Right, well... Like you said, a lot of the pastures in the eastern half, eastern third of Nebraska are dominated by, by smooth brome grass, cool season grasses. And that growth is dependent very strongly on that, that May, April, May, June precipitation. So if we don't have good precipitation, uh, and we'll talk about what good is, in that time, you know, we can reduce our production anywhere from 25 to 50%. Now, the one thing that we do have with cool season grasses, maybe a saving grace is that it does grow again in the late summer, early fall, uh, when the days get shorter and so cooler nights. Um, But there's even less precipitation on average during that time of year than there is in the spring. So if we don't have that precipitation at the end of the growing season, we don't have the production even in the, in the fall. So that's something to look out for. The good thing about those 
Smooth Brahms specifically is it's a it's a sod former. It uh, it is very drought tolerant. You know that also presents a problem that if it does get dry, there's only maybe one species out there, and so then the whole pasture is gone. Whereas in a range situation, you might be able to uh, have some give and take with different mixtures of of species and and functional groups of warm and cool season grasses. Ryan, let's talk a little bit about the sand hills and thinking about the mix of cool season, warm season grasses there. As we look at uh, when precip is important, kind of walk us through some of the key species in the sand hills and and when precip is important to their growth. Yeah, so kind of some of the first grasses we see green up here in the sand hills are going to be those cool season grasses. Some wheat grasses, uh, needle grass, those are going to start greening up, you know, here pretty soon. Like Brad said, early spring moisture is important for their growth. But as we move, you know, more into June, we'll see those uh, warm season grasses, things like prairie sand reed and little blue stem, big blue stem, all these warm season grasses that we have start growing more rapidly. And you know, they're also really dependent on the spring moisture, but they also depend a lot on kind of that early summer moisture. So I guess the, the thing that I've been watching up here is kind of our soil moisture conditions because we're still fairly good um, in Cherry County, at least for soil moisture. The concerning thing is the temperature outlook and the precipitation outlook from the National Weather Service both look pretty bleak for all of Nebraska. So if we don't get more precipitation like we've been saying, um, we're going to be using up groundwater reserves that are already a little short. Well, the title of your article says drought planning trigger dates. Let's transition and talk about that a little bit. Actually, your first trigger date is the date we're recording this podcast, April 1st. As we look at soil moisture conditions, as we look at the outlook, as we think about trigger dates and actually as we record this, today's that first date, what are some things you're thinking about? What are some things you're thinking through depending on the pasture and range resource that you have in place? So I think the big thing we're thinking about is soil moisture right now. And a good way to assess that is just digging some holes. You know, if we're building fence, watching those post holes we're digging, and seeing where the moisture is in the soil profile. And there's obviously some other resources like NASA has some satellite-based imagery that shows us that top three meters of soil and the moisture in, in it. I think around here, a lot of guys are saying it's dry. So that's the, the concern. Out where I'm located in the western part of the state, you know, we're more cool season dominated here. And, and especially you get out to the northwest part of the panhandle, things like threadleaf sedge or sometimes people call black root. That's really getting or should be getting kicked off right now and, and needle and thread starting to green up and grow. You know, if we don't have soil moisture, it's not going to grow very much. And then we reach a point in time where we're past its, its rapid growth window or past its opportune time. Once we go past that, we're not going to see much response in terms of grass growth, even if we do get precip. Uh, with that in mind, how do we think about some of the trigger dates that are coming up, some of the key species that need moisture, and then thinking about our total forage production, how might that shape for us maybe some decisions we need to start to make? 
I think uh, one thing we need to think about is especially where you said we're taping on April 1st, depending on what your conditions are at your operation, you may already need to be planning to either turn out later or reduce stocking rates 10 to 20%. And as we move through these trigger dates in the article, we may have to continue to reduce stocking rate, find alternative sources for feed, make some management decisions to accommodate the drought. And I've received several calls about potential dry lotting situations already this year, just because of potential price of hay, corn prices, commodity prices, as well as the energy costs, uh, diesel and things of that nature. And, and where do you take cattle uh, or do you leave them? Do you, you bring in hay? So those are a lot of, lot of significant decisions that have to be made. And, and these trigger dates are just a way to help make that decision as well. One of the things I like about trigger dates is having a plan in place and having accountability with it. So uh, personally, <laughs> I know there's times when, oh, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, it's rained before, uh, you know, it's going to come. And then all of a sudden we're at a point where it hasn't rained and now we're having to make some hard decisions or some of the options that maybe were available to us before have been taken off the table. I think in my mind, having trigger dates provides some accountability and can also force one a little bit to review your drought plan. What are we going to do? And then already taking some of the emotion out of it a little bit uh, to make some hard decisions that sometimes need to be made. So at least for me personally, as I think about a drought plan, I think about trigger dates, it's a plan of action and it's, and it's some accountability and hopefully taking uh, some thought into a decision ahead of when things start to get hard and maybe you're dealing with some uh, disappointment, emotions that make some of those decisions hard. I think that's, from my perspective, one of the values of a drought plan with trigger dates. Agreed, Aaron. I think if you're planning ahead for drought, you have a lot more options when you're planning ahead instead of reacting later. I think one of the things that may seem shocking to some people is the amount that we suggest destocking or reducing stocking rates, not necessarily destocking on some of these trigger dates. And I think the important thing to note is that doesn't necessarily mean you need to sell that percent of your herd or, you know, that that's not what we're suggesting necessarily. There's a lot of ways to reduce stocking rates. And part of that is just moving through your pasture rotation more quickly, taking those cows out of a pasture, you know, that amount sooner than you would in a normal year. And so that leaves us at a point where maybe we can um, look at some other options like weaning calves early and selling cull cows earlier maybe than we would. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different options. And I appreciate you saying, Ryan, as we think about reducing stocking rate, that doesn't mean automatically selling cattle, uh, but it does mean we need to remove mouths from that location where the grass is growing. And I think one of the things that's also a little bit sobering from my perspective is parts of the state anyway, had reduced forage production last year. They were dry already. And so the, the native plants in particular going into this growing season, we would expect reduced forage production, even if we got average precip. And so I think that's the other important thing in my mind to remember is we've already been through a dry year in many parts of the state. And so we're coming into this year already with reduced plant health and vigor. And so current dry conditions now 
are going to just exasperate what was already an expectation from my perspective in many range locations of reduced forage production. So again, not trying to paint too bleak of a picture, but I think uh, recognizing where we're at. You guys are going to be part of a webinar series coming up next week on April 7th. Uh, it's put on by the Center for Ag Profitability, triggering pasture and forage management decisions before a drought. That's going to be held April 7th uh, from noon to one central time. If folks have an interest in being part of that, you can go to go.unl.edu forward slash CAP 4-7 and you can register for that program. Again, that's at the Center for Ag Profitability title of that program, Triggering Pasture and Forage Management Decisions Before Drought, again, coming up on April 7th. So you guys are going to be part of a panel discussion there, just talking about what are some options, things to think through. I think that's going to be an excellent resource for people who uh, maybe wanting to get more information. Any other thoughts on this topic as we point towards wrapping this up? One thing, Aaron, is what you, you mentioned and Ryan did too, is that with the reduction last year of, of production, uh, we do need to think about these long-term effects and using these trigger dates are a good way of making sure that we don't have detrimental long-term effects on these pastures and we can continue to graze these pastures in the future and have good production. Well, we know drought's not new. We've been through this before. And so obviously experience can help us learn and understand maybe what are some different options for us. You know, I think for folks who would like to look at some of the drought resources we have available, some of these are from the past uh, when we've dealt with this before, you can go to the beef.unl.edu website. At that website, at the top of the page, there's a banner with drought resources. Would encourage you to check those out and uh, there's more information there. Thanks again for joining me today. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the title of today's article, Drought Planning Trigger Dates.